Thanks so much, Nathan. Uh, greetings, Bethany Community Church. It is truly a joy to be with you today. My name is Abby Odio. I am the pastor of teaching and formation here at Green Lake. Um, and like I said, truly a joy to worship together this morning, whoever you are, wherever you are joining us from. If you were with us last week, you know that Richard kicked us off in this series we do every fall uh, in some way called Gather, Go, Grow. And it's sort of this essential kind of refresher on what it means for us, for Bethany Community Church in this day, in this moment, to be God's church. We began last week with Gather, this idea that we're called to be a community, uh, even in, perhaps especially in, this time of scattering and social distancing from one another. This week, we look at a second piece of that calling, which is this command that we go, this command that we make our way into the world as representatives of Christ, as people of hope, inviting others to the life and fullness of Christ. Now, as we dive into our text today uh, from Matthew chapter 10, I want to sort of pause and bring you into my process of sermon preparation this week. I opened my Bible to read the very words that Nathan just read for us, and I'm sitting in my home uh, with the doors closed, of course, because if you're in the Seattle area or the state of Washington or California or Oregon, you know we've just had really terrible and tragic fires. So I've got my door shut, the window shut, smoke outside. We couldn't leave our homes before because of the global pandemic, and we couldn't leave them this week because we were told the air quality was extremely hazardous. And so I'm reading, I'm studying, I come to this bit in Matthew where Jesus tells his 12 disciples, go proclaim the good news, get out there, raise the dead, cure the sick, cleanse the lepers. It sounds so simple. And there's sort of this cynic that rises up in me and thinks, go and raise the dead? Wait, what? Like in this moment, I just need to get up off this couch and go get my son who I can hear crying now one room over. Like it, it looks so simple on paper, but, but what? <laughs> now I share this with you not to be pessimistic and certainly, certainly not to discredit the profound and the important invitation in these words. Rather, I share all that to locate us honestly sort of in the present reality of things. It's a reality that involves online schooling for many of you just this last week. People walking around carrying more anxiety and more anger closer to the surface. This week, our reality involved the death of a great and faithful public servant, a death that has sparked even greater political hostility and division among us. College students, this is the month that we welcome you back. This is a month we look forward to all summer at Bethany. We hope you'll join a small group and attend our virtual college kickoff happening next week after the 7 p.m. service. And all that is good, and we're excited to be with you, albeit online. But we miss having you in this room. We miss the energy and the life that you bring. We know you're also having to reimagine what your, your year will be like. And in the middle of all that, all, the, all that is our world right now, both personal and global, we read almost this ironic and potentially overwhelming call as Jesus followers, 
go. <laughs> what? Go where? Go how? Part of me was tempted to sort of tuck this passage away for another day or, you know, at least let Eric or Richard take a shot at it. But then I took a deep breath and another, and I said this, literally said this out loud, show me, God. Make yourself known. And so whoever you are, wherever you are right now, I invite you to do exactly that. I know some of you are probably sitting with kids running around in your living room. That's usually me on a Sunday morning. I'd invite you just right here, take a deep breath and pray with me, trusting that God has something really essential and encouraging for us in this moment. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for these words that are challenging and hard and potentially even overwhelming. But God, they are holy words. They are your words. And so as we sit this morning with all that we have going on in our lives, we ask that you would meet us in that way that only your spirit can do. Find us in that way that only your spirit can do. Draw us into you this morning that we might be changed as people of hope in our world because of an encounter that we have with you through this text, God. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So as we study this passage uh, today in Matthew 10, we're gonna focus our attention on three sort of gospel realities uh, from Matthew 10, which are this. We are called to go as we are. We're called to go as we are. We're called to go as more than we are. And we're called to keep going. We're called to go as we are. We're called to go as more than we are. And we're called to keep going. So we begin with that first reality that each of us, even in this season, we are called to go as we are. Now, let's talk about that. Not as we wish we were. Not as we hope to be in 2021 once a vaccine is made available. But here, now, in the chaos and uncertainty, with our internal narratives of exhaustion and fear and doubt, we are called just as we are. If we return to the text, um, we see that Matthew begins chapter 10 in this very Matthew-like way, uh, which is to offer us a list of names. And this list we know includes the names of Jesus's 12 disciples. Here they are sent out. Matthew uses the language of apostles. Normally he calls them disciples. He uses the language of apostles for the first time, which literally means the sent ones or the sent out ones. And if we read this list of names as they sit here in the text, it's easy to sort of move right on, move right past them. Peter, Andrew, Zebedee, John, got it. We're familiar with these guys. But given how Matthew develops his narrative, what we see at the beginning of Matthew 10 is actually hugely significant in a way we might not realize. Jump ahead with me to the very end of Matthew, where these same disciples that appear and are sent in chapter 10, appear and are sent again by name in chapter 28. In chapter 28, verse 16, we are told these disciples head to Galilee where they meet Jesus, who has now undergone crucifixion and risen from, from the dead. And in this sort of grand crescendo moment that Matthew has been working towards, he uses that Greek verb pheo, which means go. He tells them once again to go. But here's what Matthew, in this very understated way, tells us about the disciples. Matthew 28, verse 17 says this, And when they saw him, talking about the risen Christ, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. 
The Greek language of the text actually suggests uh, something slightly more like some believed and doubted. In other words, very much like you and me at this moment in history, these disciples, these ones who saw it all go down, it turns out they are not spiritual superstars, but believer doubters. Turns out they too sit and sometimes wonder, is this real? Is God in this? Turns out they're complex creatures who have texture and dimension and story. Turns out they too carry anger and anxiety and bitterness. They know sadness and weariness and deep regret. And yet simultaneously, they also know joy and wonder and a gnawing hope that somehow the world that is promised in this curious person, Jesus Christ, can somehow be better than the world that has been. And this is actually really wonderful news for all of us in this moment. See, Bethany Community Church doesn't exist to create people who are perfectly ready for that to which God calls them. We're never ready to go. We're never ready for mission. We are rather believer doubters. I'd say that's true even in the best of times. I had a funny interaction with my older son this week. I talk about him a lot, but I also spend a lot of time with him. So it is what it is. Um, He's almost three and he's reached this delightful age where in certain like cases, he can actually be helpful. So as any smart and perhaps slightly compromised parents would do, um, we've been giving him these assignments to help us, but we clothe them in the fun and exciting language of mission. So we'll say things like, Mark, I have a mission for you. Go to your brother's room and bring me back one of his diapers. And most of the time it works and it's great and he's delightfully helpful. Um, And this was all sort of fun and we were having a fair amount of success with it until Mark flipped things around and started giving us missions. And so just this past week he said, Mom, I have a mission for you. Go into the kitchen and bake me cookies. And I said, wow, son, that better be the last time in your life you tell me to go into the kitchen. But that said, sorry, no, I'm busy with something else. I can't bake you cookies right now. And he looked at me and he he shook his head. And this is what I love. He said, no, mom, can't say no to a mission. You can't say no to a mission. Now, to be clear, I can. But for the purposes of this message, I love that line. You can't say no to a mission. Because we are here, a church meeting virtually, missing one another, living in a time of upheaval and injustice, and it seems as though everything is being called into question. We are the believer doubters. And yet this passage of scripture calls us forth still as we are. As if Jesus were gracefully saying to us, you don't say no to the mission. (laughs) You are called just as you are right where you are. Mission is not an add-on. It's not something you do when all of life is going well and you feel like you've got that extra surge of energy to give. That's not it. It's a posture. Something that's formed in you. But then as we continue reading in this text, there's no denying that this story also calls us as we are, but also calls us beyond our human capacity, calls us to be more than we are. Beginning in verse 10, Jesus gives instructions that his disciples are to go out into the world enacting the kingdom reign of God by healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing the leper, casting out demons. 
In other words, we live in this kingdom of death and Jesus says, go into the world offering an alternative, which is life winning over death, flourishing for all people over and above oppression. And then in verse nine, Jesus transitions from instructions about the, what the disciples should do. Notice he then begins talking about what they should not do. Do not take a bag or clothing, take no money. In the ancient world, a staff, a staff that you carried when you walked was, was really a necessity for a lot of reasons, especially when a person traveled, which is what Jesus is telling the disciples to do. Um, but when you went by foot from town to town, a staff was one of the few means of protections, protection that you had from wild animals or someone who might try to rob you on the road. But here Jesus says, take no staff. And so what we see in Matthew 10 is this command from Jesus, go and bring life in a sense, be more than you on your own are capable of being. But not only that, do so without any of your normal levers, without any of the things or the routines or the defenses or the provisions that you're used to depending on. Sound familiar? Those of you who are listening to this message in Seattle, you know this past week we sat in a cloud of smoke. Because of the virus, my husband and I are both working from home and we're grateful we have that opportunity. But one of the things we've come to treasure is just getting out of the house at the end of the day and going for a walk. And so when the the smoke forced us inside all week, it felt like that lever, you know, like this thing we have to look forward to, it had been taken away. I mentioned we have young kids in the house and this past week I had a dream. We've come to rely heavily on the cartoon Daniel Tiger. Some of you might be familiar with this. This week, I literally had a dream that for some reason, Daniel Tiger was also taken away. And I woke up kind of in this cold sweat, like praying, God, please do not take Daniel Tiger. (laughs) I share all this only to highlight the reality that for many of us, our defenses are sort of low. We lost outdoor time. We've lost childcare. We've lost the joyful luxury of visiting our grandkids. Some of us have lost jobs or health. And please don't mishear me. I don't want to imply that God wills global pandemics or climate change or uh, racial injustice or so many of the other things that have people feeling weak. But I do know, I do know, I do know that in God's story, in God's church, the Holy Spirit of God is most present in God's people when God's people are at their weakest, when they've given up the staff, so to speak. This is a story of Saul who was actually physically made blind so that he could see. This is a story of Peter who thought his strength would carry him, but his strength actually comes up very short and he learns it's only God's grace. It's only ever God's grace. As we continue reading in Matthew 25, Jesus said to his disciples, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Now, I don't know a ton about sheep, but here's what I do know. The sheep who are sent among wolves, their only hope is the shepherd. It's their only hope. And so, yes, there's this dissonance between this calling to go as we are and to go as more than we are. Those callings can even seem contradictory in a way, but both are absolutely necessary. Because it's precisely in the impossibility and the vulnerability of where we are today that Jesus, that the shepherd, who is the mission, fills that space, fills that dissonance in us, shows up for us and in us and through us and changes us. 
So that as we go, as I go, it's not me that people see, but Christ in Abby. It's not Jonathan that people see, but Christ in Jonathan. It's not Graham that people see, but Christ in Graham. Verse, chapter 10, verse 20, Jesus teaches them, it will not be you speaking, but it'll be, it'll be me, it'll be Christ. This is profound stuff. Chapter 10, verse 40, Jesus says again, it will not be you who they welcome, but Christ who they welcome when they welcome you. And so the tension you feel right now in this wild and weary year that is 2020, friends, as we begin each day inviting Christ into that place, moment to moment, it becomes our strength. We become transformed, not into people who go when they have a little bit of extra energy. Nobody has that right now. But we become people who live on the go. When I was a kid, our family took a road trip out to Minnesota from Washington in our uh, white town and country minivan. Our destination was a place called the Boundary Waters, which is a million or so acres of just beautiful national forest filled with lakes. It's actually known for its canoeing. And so as part of our trip, my parents booked this day-long canoe adventure uh, for my siblings and I. I think we have a picture of this um, to show you. I'm the one in the red, white, and blue swimsuit there. So that was a fun season of life. But uh, the day arrives, we show up early in the morning. Our guide was this very knowledgeable uh, college student named Corey. We load our stuff up in this huge van. We head out um, into this very remote part of Minnesota. We hike for a while to get to the lakes. Uh, We finally get on the water. We have a delightful morning canoeing all around. And we end up having lunch on this very remote island. And as we're eating lunch, we see in the distance that there's a storm moving in. And uh, the guide, you know, assured us that it was fine. Storms like this come and go. It's far away. We're okay. But then as lunch went on, uh, you could tell he, Corey was becoming a bit more concerned and told us that we needed to pack up and get back as quickly as we could. Uh, and you could tell he was worried. So, so we do. We pack up. And as we're packing up, it starts to rain. And pretty soon the thunder and lightning is, you know, we can hear it. It's close. And then it's right over us. And um, the storm was wild. <laughs> and we had a ways to go. So we're on the water in this storm, one of the worst they would have that summer. If you've spent any time in the Midwest, you know their storms are not like the storms we get here. And um, we're in these canoes, like paddling. I was probably nine or 10 years old. We're paddling literally for dear life. And I remember being in a canoe with our guide and my dad. I somehow ended up in a boat with them. And, you know, chaos was happening all around. And the way we were seated in the canoe, our guide was in the very back and he was kind of giving instructions. And then my dad was in the next seat in the boat. And then I was sitting in front of my dad, kind of straddled between his legs. And I remember we're all facing the same direction like you do when you canoe. And I remember being so afraid. But from where I was seated, I could see my dad's shoe. Like his legs were kind of wrapped around me. I could see his white, probably New Balance dad tennis shoe. And I vividly remember just fixing my eyes on those shoes. And I could hear his voice as he said to me, Abby, keep rowing, keep rowing. Abby, keep rowing, keep rowing. And I couldn't see his face, but here's what I know. If he hadn't been in the boat with me, I couldn't have kept going. 
If his voice and presence hadn't been giving me strength, I would have been helpless. And what I love about this image of us in the canoe is that the guide, the professional, the one who was really kind of keeping us all together was behind my dad offering the same sort of words of encouragement, guidance, direction, hope. Row this way, row that way. We'll get there. And then there was my dad embodying that same hope for me. Friends, I know the storm right now is real and it's hard. But here's what I also know. There are people in our sphere, teachers who are overwhelmed, probably beyond what we can imagine. Coworkers who are lonely. Neighbors living unhoused on Aurora. A mental health crisis in our midst. Hospitals full of sick people. And I also know none of these folks needs me. <laughs> this surely isn't a, a calling to paternalism or some sort of you know, toxic savior complex. I'm very aware in this season that I, as Abby, have very little to offer on my own. It would probably involve a lot of emotional eating and some expletives, if I'm being honest. But the world does need Christ in us more than us. They need to hear the assuring words of the one true guide through us the same way I heard it through my dad in that boat, in that storm. They don't need Abby's opinions about racial injustice. They need Christ's perfect justice embodied and flooding the world through our church. They don't need platitudes about hope, but the actual resurrection life of Christ and peace of Christ spoken and enacted. They don't need us turning a blind eye to places of deep brokenness in our city. They need us going into them the same way Jesus said, I will go to the cross to that which is the most broken and watch this all offer a way out. And so the invitation to be more than we are this week requires that we listen to the voice of the guide, that we invite the Holy Spirit each day to speak to us, to be in the boat with us moment to moment to ask the question, where is God in this moment? How is he filling me? How is God guiding me? Maybe while Jonathan and Nathan spoke about mission opportunities, there was something that caught your attention. Listen to that. We're getting so creative around here. These guys are getting so creative around here with how we serve and bless our community. Be a part of that. Maybe you know someone in the hospital sick. We have a family friend who's been on a ventilator since early July and she's, her numbers are actually slowly getting better and we just keep praying, God, life, life, life. Maybe you have a neighbor who could use some encouragement. Take them flowers or like the kids said, bake them some cookies. Beautify their world. Remind them they're not alone. And then the third and closing point is this. We keep going. We keep going. We're called to go as we are. We're called to go as more than we are, but we're called to keep going. In Matthew 10, picking up right where Nathan left off reading, Jesus offers fair warning to his disciples that this road will not be easy. They do not determine outcomes. They do not get to uh, control how people respond to their message of hope. So they must be prepared for hardship. And then he says in verse 22, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, when we hear that word endure, we often think of endurance sports like the Tour de France, which wraps up today. It's an incredible feat of skill and grit. If Pastor Eric were preaching this morning, he could tell you all about it. 
I just know there are bikes involved. They are not electric bikes, would be, which would be my preference, but it is what it is. But when we think about endurance in that way as sort of this gritting it out, this tenacious stamina, it can feel like what Jesus is telling us to do as we go um, is, is to apply every ounce of strength that we have to this call that we've been given. But when we look at the, the word in Greek, it's actually a combination of two words, that word that translates endure, the verb meno, which means to stay or remain, and the preposition hupo, which means by or under. Now put those two words together. What Jesus seems to be saying here is that the way you will make it through 2020 is not by sheer willpower or grit. The way you will keep going as people of hope in a hard world is to remain by me or stay under me. It's this invitation to an ongoing trust and intimate relationship. Endurance is not about personal strength. It's about proximity. In some ways, I find this text deeply comforting because Jesus makes it clear he understood the harshness that our fallen world could stir up. And his answer isn't give up. His answer is go and keep going, but all the while stay close. Because it's your proximity to Christ, he says, that will be your saving grace. Like that beautiful hymn we sang today, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Whenever we stay close to God, God is close to us. We're in the boat. God never leaves the boat. And like so many imitations of scripture, this one to endure is simple, but it's not easy. If we take a moment and do an evaluation of our culture, we see this very real erosion of trust in really anything happening all around us. I find it fascinating that the Pew Research Center recently came out with some data Uh, revealing that interpersonal trust has become increasingly compromised with each generation. In other words, um, according to the study, the younger you are, the less likely you are to extend trust to people or to institutions. Not surprisingly, the same study also found that uh, trust in the media and trust in the U.S. government is at an all-time low right now. Now, this is interesting on a number of levels, but I want to focus for a moment on the implication that for many of us, the muscle within us that allows us to feel some degree of stability in the world, man, it's weakening. And I notice this in myself at moments when, you know, I read news highlights at the end of the day or when I can't sleep at night because my mind just won't quiet down with all the catastrophic possibilities. I get this pit in my stomach. And this text, it's a profound invitation back to the single entity, the single person, the single kingdom reality that is worthy of trust and confidence, the only one that we'll ever know. Matthew 10, verse 29, as though reading the minds of his doubting believer disciples, Jesus says to them, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall outside your father's care. He even knows the number of hairs on your head. He even knows the number of hairs on your head. I love those words, especially in the context they're given. Jesus has just laid out circumstances that are harsh, but then he draws them out of that harshness back into this harness of intimacy and care. 
I think of my nine-year-old self again, fixated on my dad's shoe. Like as long as I'm seated here, as long as I'm situated here, I can keep going, I can keep rowing. So this week, friends, as we go, it's not about personal strength, it's about proximity. It's about not allowing that ability to trust to simply fade away and leave us alone in this world. You're not alone. A great embodied example of this is a man born in the fourth century named Patrick. Uh, We know him as St. Patrick today, and it's unclear exactly where he was born, either uh, Ireland or England, but it is clear that uh, at some point he was captured and enslaved in Ireland for several years. And his life would involve a miraculous escape from slavery back to England. Once in England, he attended seminary and then experienced this strong calling to go back to Ireland. Think about that, to go back to the land of your captivity and to preach this embodied gospel of hope, to be a light, to live as a transformed agent of Christ. And given what we know of his courageous life, it would seem St. Patrick understood in a profound way this deep connection between trusting in order to go, between going as we are and going as far more than we are. Here's the prayer St. Patrick would say as he went. I arise today through God's strength to pilot me, God's might to uphold me, God's wisdom to guide me, God's eye to look before me, God's ear to hear me, God's word to speak for me, God's hand to guard me, God's way to lie before me. May Christ be in every eye that sees me and in every ear that hears me. May Christ be all around me. This week as a church scattered though we are, I'd invite you to begin each day praying these words of St. Patrick. We have copies of it. If you'd like, you can text Patrick to 64600, 64600. Or if you're connected to us on social media, you can find the prayer there. But I'd encourage you for the next seven days, make it a habit. When you wake in the morning, before your feet hit the floor, before you check your email or check the news, pray these words. Maybe you want to write it down or carry it with you on your phone. Maybe you pause throughout the day between classes or, you know, as you're coaching your second grader in place value math, or as you take a break between treating patients or in moments when you find yourself wearied by the state of the world, pray these words, stay close. See, now we're standing by, now we're remaining under. Now we're ready to go and to keep going and to to be far more than we are for a world that needs far more than we can give to show up, to pray, to speak, to bless, to comfort, to cure, to proclaim, not merely as ourselves, but with Christ's glorious power in us. Church, we can do this, or rather, we can't do this, but Christ can do this, and Christ does do this, and Christ will continue to do this through us. Even here in 2020, especially here in 2020, let's keep going, and may God bless you wherever you are.